Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and it's a warm welcome back all the way from episode six with Scarlet Traces. It's Dave Wynn. Dave, welcome back to the book club. Hello. Thanks very much for having me on again. I promise to... Uh not waffle quite as much as I did last time and keep this one a bit shorter. <laughs> no, no, no problems. Well, actually, we've got uh, an awful lot to talk about, so we probably ought to get on with it. Um, okay. As I say, Scarlet Traces last time, you've had a book on the list for quite some time. Tell us what it is that you've picked for your return visit. Uh, Portrait of a Mutant by uh, Wagner and Grant uh, and Carlos Esquerra, of course. Um, yeah, this is a, a firm favourite of mine. Um, it's in fact, it's probably my favourite 2000 AD story, full stop, really. Um, in terms of Strontium Dog, Rage comes a close second. And in terms of other strips, I think Apocalypse War and maybe Halo Jones come a close third and fourth. Um, but I believe I read this as a collection and the best of 2000 AD monthly. Uh, I definitely didn't read it on release because I wasn't reading 2000 AD then. Um, but it made an instant impact on me. You know, It covers so much in such a short space of time. On top of it, being near non-stop action and intrigue it's an incredibly political story even for 2000 AD um, and I think as a child it prob- probably introduced me to concepts of you know things like um, prejudice and hatred and the depths humanity can sink to chasing a you know a particularly vicious ideology um, so yeah it was probably only a short while after reading this actually that um, we started covering Hitler's rise to power in, Germ- in, in Germany you know um, in history in school and I suddenly connected the two, and it was a real light bulb moment. And I realised that the comic was, in many ways, reflecting on actual events, and and uh, indeed events that, well, that are still happening to this day. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, here we are after 180 episodes, finally getting to Portrait of a Mutant. It is. It's one of the biggies, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, it comes up a lot in in the lists of favourite 2000 AD stories, doesn't it? Absolutely. So let's just do facts and figures quickly. You said uh, John Wagner, Alan Grant writing. It's credited to Alan Grant, but we know from uh, Thrill Power Overload and Willie Russell on Facebook that this was the period when they, the pair of them were writing together, but basically whoever typed up the script got the, got the credit, I think. Yeah, that was confused me, actually, when I first saw that it was Alan Grant, because I, I could have sworn it was Wagner and, and Grant all the way through. But, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? That um, yeah. uh, Wagner, I think, got all the uh, the cash for typing up the Dread stories and Grant got the, the cash for typing up the, the Strong Toon Dog stories. So whoever typed her up got the money, basically. And, of course, as you say, uh, black and white superlative art by Carlos Esquera, lettered by Steve Potter, Bill Nuttall and Tony Jacob, editor Steve McManus, progs 200 to 206, then it takes a three-prog break, returns in 210 to 221, and we're in 1981, so we're still fairly early on. We're sort of like third or fourth year, I guess, getting into the fourth year of 2000 AD. Yeah. If you want to read along with us, it's Agency Files Volume 2, which is, I think, only available digitally now, or there's the Digest Pocket Edition um, as well. Uh, but as you say, it was in Best of 2018 Monthly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was around then that I started reading 2018 anyway. You know, I was always aware of 2018 as a comic reader, but Eagle was my my main comic for a long time, and it was it was the 
I can remember the first 2008 that I, where I suddenly went, right, I'm going to have a subscription to this from now on. It was the one with the cover, uh, The Big Busters Go, and again, Strontium Dog, where uh, Johnny Alpha and Midnight Facebook Nulty is a, you know, you fold it out and there's a big picture of them all and their vehicles heading off to the big bust, you know. Um, yeah, but the best of 2008 monthly, I'm pretty sure that that month or certainly the month after or very soon after had the story in it and it just wowed me, you know. So, Dave, we're going to want to talk about the writing, the art and the politics. Um, I'm going to assume that most people listening will have read Portrait of a Mutant. But give us a very quick, in a nutshell, synopsis of what this story is about. Um, Okay, so Johnny and Wolf stumble across a low-paying job, um, about 20,000 creds, if I remember correctly. Um, But it's got particular import for Johnny, as it turns out that the bounty's on his own father, Nelson Bunker Creelman. And then en route to... Creelman's hideout in the middle of nowhere, some planet in the middle of nowhere. Johnny relates the story to Wolf of his, you know, his history as a child. Some things he's apparently never revealed before. Um, and this, this then flashes the story of Johnny Creelman, how he was born a mutant, hated by his father, who was a prominent politician in the UK pursuing an anti-mutant position in UK Parliament, um, and leading Johnny to eventually escape the clutches of his father and join the mutant army. Um, and yeah, the story goes on from there basically yeah it does and it's as you say this is one is action packed it barely sort of draws breath it seems for those 21 odd progs that it's in yeah there's a there's a bit of a, a well it's hard to say a lull there's a when uh, johnny and the other generals are captured there's a bit of a lull where you see a couple, an episode or so where there's a big discussion in Parliament and you see Nelson Bunker Creelman um, putting forward his idea of, you know, extermination camps and so on. And while there's a lull in the action in terms of, you know, things blowing up and thwop guns and, and the likes, there's a, quite a lot of political action going on in those episodes, isn't there? So, yeah, so it never draws a breath in one sense or another, for sure. Well, let's start with the writing from John and Alan. And I'm going to say, which I put in our notes, that Strontium Dog's been around for two and a bit years by this stage, but it's largely been the sort of caper, the sort of, you know, they get a job, they don't, they go and do the job. I mean, they've seen some stuff. They've been to hell. Um, They've done the Schickle Gruber job. But I'm always interested when the writers or, in fact, the artists suddenly decide that they're going to take this up a notch. What did you make of the writing um, from John and Alan? Well, it was. I think some of the groundwork has been had been laid leading up to the story in terms that we knew they were bounty hunters, we knew they were feared across the galaxy, we knew that they weren't particularly liked wherever they turned up. Um, so we had not, we had an understanding that there was there was a background, but it was never really clear what the background was. I don't think. Um, and also I think the writing went up a notch because it moved from very kind of fantasy or western oriented uh, into something a, a lot darker and a lot more political I mean the journey to hell was dark in places but it was also very comical <laughs> you know and very fantasy yeah. based whereas this seems to be a lot more this writing seems to be a lot more grounded and, and a lot more wanting to make certain points you know and as you say, they'd sort of hinted at the sort of prejudice against mutants in the world of Strontium Dog. But this is where uh, we really get into that. We really get the sort of backstory of everything in a way, don't we? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of um, origin stories, it's a, it's a cracker, isn't it? Um, and I think, again, that's why it's one of my favourites. It's a hell of an origin story. 
I'm I'm even uh, tempted to say it's it's better and more impactful than Dread's origin story. You know, the whole concept of using mutation as an analog. I think uh, you mentioned this earlier. Um, an analog for oppressed minority groups. Uh, both Americans, yes. American comics in 2008 have used that. And I think that it's a it's a bit of it's a um, what's the word? Not a foil, um, a device, perhaps a method to introduce readers to the concept of bigotry and prejudice and hate without hitting them um, with the, the full history of the black civil rights movement, for example, or other lessons around racial genocide that you know have happened through through the ages. It's a very very clever way of of um, doing it in such a way that it actually end up in print in a, in a children's comic, essentially. You know, brilliant if you ask me. And if we assume that, you know, the readership was sort of like 11, 12 when 2000 E started, they're about, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 at this stage. And um, John and Alan and Carlos are going to deliver a sort of, uh, I don't know, a sort of history and education, a, a whole sort of viewpoint about prejudice, prejudice and bigotry and, the, and the, you know, the politics that surround that. Mm. Um, it's a real lesson for us all, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, like I said earlier, it was it was the, the, the comic in, in, introducing me to it first was incredible. When you think that, you know, I didn't then find out about the true depths that humanity could sink to until we started covering Hitler's Germany in school, uh, maybe a year to, year or so on after I'd read it, you know. And it's a it's a bit of a coup if you ask me because I think that the, I think that children should understand this as early as possible to prepare them for it going going forward and this is a great way to do it i mean it covers if it covers um i mean if we were to look at um world war ii for example it, it, it was this story covered such things as happened in the run-up to world war ii such as segregation of the mutants removal of their rights um the mutants in the story were not allowed to work they couldn't pay their rent they ended up in slums they were herded into work camps and in the latter part of the story they were all sentenced to be exterminated in death camps you know by um by creelman and just before the time of writing there was the um the cambodian genocide so it seemed that it was it was topical um at the time, certainly Wagner and Grunt would have been following that. I think that was between 75 and 79 and, and ultimately killed like an estimated 2 million Cambodians. So Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge, oh, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, focused on certain religious groups and anyone they believed to be intellectual and you were targeted even if you just wore glasses. However, it was the Cham Muslims who experienced the high, highest losses as a group where 500,000 were brutally exterminated. So there's a strong, um, a very strong racial element to the genocide. And this is shared in Portrait of a Mutant, given that the mutants were considered a race and treated in a very, very similar manner. So in my mind, there's, there's, no, there's no doubt that at the time of writing, it would have influenced the mindset of Wagner and Grant. Uh, but, you know, of course, that said, Europe had its own genocide. And, and to a point, um, Portrait of a Mutant mirrors the Nazi attitudes and actions towards the Jews and Romanies and homosexuals and the other categories of people that were demonized from about 1933 onwards, you know. Yeah, it's astonishing that this was in a kid's comic uh, in the early 80s. I mean, Judge Dredd is also doing the Apocalypse War, and then you've got this amazing, uh, literally, portrait of an oppressed people and the terrible politicians who lead that oppression. Yeah, I think where Dredd and Strontium Dog differ. I mean, one of the things that I, that I really enjoyed about the Apocalypse War was it um, was the... The, the nuclear element and the the effect it has on people, the radiation sickness and so on, uh, and then the you know the cursed earth, of course, we know is a radiated 
uh, a radiated wasteland and that has its own mutations and, and so on. But where where dread where the depiction of that nuclear war differed from this nuclear war in, in, in the UK was that in the UK you saw the aftermath of it and you saw how difficult life had become in the aftermath. You saw the mutations that had arisen and you saw the opposition. It always seems in times of dire straits, nationalism and prejudice and bigotry just seem to multiply and appear out of nowhere. And that's why I think, that's why I prefer Portrait of a Mutant, I think, over... Um, over the apocalypse war because you see uh this this very very political side of it well it, i mean this is probably a gross oversimplification on my part but is it when this you know when societies are threatened by scarcity or problems with resources there's unfortunately this all too sort of prevalent sort of theme of um picking on minorities basically blaming on minorities and using them as the targets for anger and hatred and fear yeah it's it's the um it's the simple but wrong answer versus the complicated but right answer isn't it unfortunately us humans have got a tendency towards the simple but but wrong answer which in in this case when you attach it to an ideology as as in nelson bunker creelman's it's the the wrong answer which leads to hate prejudice bigotry and um these these awful things that you see happening to the mutants in the story. I mean, harking back again to 1933, um, well, 33 to 39 Germany, um, Jews were not allowed their own property, just like the mutants in the story. They had to they had to wear stars that identified themselves as Jews, but of course the mutants, obviously, self <laughs> you couldn't miss them, could you? Um, they were removed many rights, such as freedoms to go where they pleased, and were forced into slums, just like the mutants are in this story. And then into work camps, and then finally into death camps, just like the mutants were are in this story. I think where portrait of a mutant differs is that the mutant army actually fights back, and there was essentially a civil war going on in the UK, uh, one that ultimately prevents Creelman's death camps. You know. Yes, because obviously, you know, Johnny, uh, as you say, joins the mutant army, he grows up, he becomes one of the sort of like renowned uh, fighters and uh, eventually leaders of the mutant army. Um, Astonishing sort of like, as you say, origin story for the character. We see him become the character that we've come to know and love over the previous two odd years of stories. Yeah, I really liked the... um I mean, we saw him from birth up to about 18, didn't we, in this really compressed story. Uh, and I really liked it. Re- I, I kind of related to it. Because, of course, when I was reading it, I was about 13, 14. And I see that period of Johnny's life. And I'm like, wow, what is this kid doing? You know, I'm just here on my skateboard eating crisps and reading 2000 AD. <laughs> What's he doing? He's the sage, you know. Um, and, it, and it's absolutely fantastic. And I think it's done incredibly well. I mean, there's some key moments. First of all, the moment when he realizes he's a mutant, then when he joins the army, and then um, possibly the first time he kills someone as well, when he defends um, General Arms on top of the tanketto or, that, or whatever that tank thing is called. And, and you can see all of the, the hardships um, and his own realization of the, of the hatreds in the world that harden him and make him the the person that he is, not least of all the kind of combat experience and all the things that come with that, you know. Um, and it's a wonder that he can't, that he's come out as, I don't know what the word is, um, merciful, righteous, yeah. as he has. Yes. Uh, he has this amazing sort of moral compass that he develops and uh, fortunately sticks with him. I mean, perhaps, you know, you might say rage. It's, he sort of, he loses it for a while, literally. But... Um, yeah. He sort of gets it back, doesn't he? 
Yeah, that's right. And do you know what? That's an interesting point. Because when I was, I mean, I'd been reading 2008 for a, a fair while by that point. But when Rage happened, my father just happened to pick up the comic. And it was the one where, and it was the episode where um, Johnny had gone back to the, the, the doghouse and Bull was challenging him and, and Johnny just took him out, you know, in a really brutal way. And my dad was like, oh my God, how am I letting you read this stuff? And then I had to sit him down and explain, no, dad, normally Johnny's a good guy, you know, uh, but, and, and this is the backstory. And then I had to explain, you know, that Wolf just died and he was going after these killers and da, 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 da. And my dad eventually got it, you know. But if you'd just read that episode in, in isolation, you would have gone, whoa, who is this now? <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, again, with Portrait of a Mutant, uh, you know, if our parents picked it up and saw what we were reading, it, we'd have had to give them an awful lot of context and background ground to um uh to explain it i guess yeah absolutely but if, I, I get i mean as a 13 year old how would you kind of explain what what's essentially you know a, a part retelling of of the horrors of um hitler's germany and and what happened in cambodia and um you know uh how do, without having that historical kind of knowledge and background at the time do you know what i mean I mean, now I can look back on it and go, oh, yes, yeah, so obviously, they're, they're obviously referring back to these things that are, you know, parallels in history. But at the time, when I first read it, I was just like, what is this? You know, uh, so I would have had, I would have struggled to kind of ju- have justified it to, to my, my parents at the time, I think. Yes, uh, if they knew what we were reading in 2000 AD. Oh, well, um, astonishing from the, you know, from the prog at this time. Now, incredibly relevant then, uh, helped educate a lot of us youngsters about the horrors of um, oppression and all the stuff that we've talked about. Um, it would be nice to say that in the sort of 40 years since things have got an awful lot better for humanity but sadly it's not true is it just as relevant as now as ever do you think well um yes sadly it is um i mean crumbs there have been so many similar instances um since since it aired i mean i think even when it aired there there was something going in there was was it colombia there's something going on south america in the early 80s i can't remember but there's guatemalan one i think yes guatemala that's right yeah and since then of course we've had bosnia um we've seen the demonization of groups leading to human rights abuses and genocides in in bosnia um driven by prejudice against bosnian muslims and and currently in china we've got human rights groups who believe china has detained more than a million I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right Uyghurs um, Uyghurs yeah yeah against the will um, over the past few years in a large um, kind of like network of what the state calls re-education camps which in my eyes is just another word for concentration camps you know and sentenced hundreds of thousands to prison terms Um, and there's also evidence that they've been used as forced labour and women have been forcibly sterilised and all kinds of horrors you know and then, of course, we've got our own government to look at, haven't we? Um, we've, we've, we've essentially got a hard-right government in power right now, many of whom share Nelson Bunker Creelman's outlook. You know, the words of the current government have, have driven hate crimes, particularly Johnson, who we know for a fact is a racist, based on his columns in various papers, his comments about pickaninnies with watermelon smells and women, uh, Muslim women looking like letterboxes. Yeah, you know, the list goes on and on. His, his history is horrendous. Um, and, and this has given... I feel it's given agency to, to, to racists and hate crimes have risen a staggering amount in the last eight or nine years. Um, in 2012, there was about 42,000 hate crimes reported uh, compared to 124,000 in 2021, which is just unbelievable. Um, 
so the, the the othering and the demonization that we see happening against the mutants and portrait of, of a mutant that leads to the slums, the removal of rights, the removal of freedom of movement, the work camps and the, det- the detention centers, that othering is, is essentially happening right now in the UK thanks to our elected government and has been for quite some time, um, w- which is horrendous. Um, if only this stuff would stay science fiction and not become harsh reality for us, Dave. Absolutely. I mean, Wagner always said this was meant as a warning, not as something that, that you should turn into reality. You know, I mean, if we look at um, Priti Patel's be- behavior towards refugee, refugees at the moment, it's absolutely shocking in so many ways. Uh, for an example, those refugees being forced into the equivalent of slums, just as important of a mutant, those ex-army barracks that were considered unfit for human occupation even before the refugees were shoved in there. And they were packed in, living in squalor, and then COVID got in and just ripped right through them, killing many of them. And then there's a nationality and borders bill, um, known as the anti-refugee bill, which many have warned as draconian, because it means if it's allowed to pass, it could mean almost 6 million people in the UK would be eligible to have their British citizenship taken away without notification by the government. It would allow refugees to be kept in offshore detention camps, undermine international law, and people of dual citizenship could be stripped of their rights. And they're all things that we see in Portrait of a Mutant under Nelson Bunker Creelman. It's just astonishing, you know... And Nelson Bunker Creelman, let's just talk about him. You know, one of the great villains of 2000 AD, but uh, unfortunately, all too recognisable as these sort of populist, hard right politicians that we see all over the world, sadly, here in the UK right now. Mm. Um, it's terrifying, really, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, it's absolutely horrendous. And you can see so many similarities. Um, actually, let me just pick up the book because of. of put a tag in a couple of the pages here there was one example that stood out the the creelman anti-muty law enacted mutants banned from owning businesses and properties um and this was when johnny was just just a babe in arms they he'd started this polemic you know and later on when you see when you see johnny growing up little he's going through these um uh rallies where creelman is speaking to all these people with signs saying muty's out and and all the rest um and then he makes Johnny watch two mutants being executed. It's just like, oh my God, you know. Uh, and, and as the story progresses, you, you see him, um, you see Creelman really work the masses up into an anti-muty froth, really, don't you? Um, and every time the, the, the mutants fight back, their own fighting back is used against them in terms of the propaganda that's used against them. Oh no, they've attacked somewhere else. Oh no, they've killed more norms. Oh no, they've done this. Therefore, muties should be all be destroyed you know um yeah a, a really nasty dr- man driven by this ideology of hatred isn't it it's just grim it is and uh, you know um we've we've often as you say john says it i've heard michael Mulcher say it that you know the uh, stuff like this in strontium dog and judge dread is meant as a warning to us not as a sort of um a model or a sort of uh, blueprint and yet the police now you sort of like they're becoming more and more like dread like helmeted um enforcers and uh, there's this there's that famous scene here in Portrait of a Mutant when of course the the uh, the, uh, the the bunkers or the um what they call the creelers uh these anti-mutant police force are, dis- are sort of disbanded and then they appoint a new police force who all look just the same <laughs> yeah i mean how that's that's a crazy political point isn't it it's yeah we're just re- rebranding the same thugs 
essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there, in all the darkness in um, Portrait of a Mutant, there is some humor in there, isn't it? And as much as much as that that's very dark humor, it's still quite funny, um, and it's very black humor. I, I mean, I should say at, at this point that. I mean, the mutants themselves provide a bit of humour because, as a, as a child, I certainly enjoyed the depiction of mutants in terms of, um, like, the torso. He has no head, and um, the 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 was it the fuzzies? I can't remember. The, the they're all just the covered in fuzz. Hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're great. Um, and also, Midden Face Minolti, who's one of my favourite characters, where every time he speaks, no one has a clue, no one understands him, even when he's saying farewell to uh, General. Is it Studs? And he says, "I've got, I've got a pencil marked here. Dinny fash studs, laddie. Asians sup parrots real deal together yinde until they lang me a breek shriek." And he's like, "Oh yeah, thanks, Min. Face same to you, pal. <laughs> Not having a clue what he's saying." So you know, even though we've got a really dark story with these incredibly um, horrendous kind of like political themes, it's great that they still manage to put some levity in there every now and again just to give us a break from the horror you know and i mean uh, mcnally's my favorite character anyway He's, and this is his first appearance isn't it i believe so yes and i, I don't know if this is the time to talk about our grill pages yet or not uh this is the night. Well, we'll we'll come to that wonderful page shortly but yeah okay. this is this is middenface mcnulty and of course um there's two things about him first of all is that his lumps are much more um irregular and distinctive in his early appearances i'm guessing he's had so many shot off over the years they've sort of become shorter and more regular <laughs> yeah yeah more rounded and so on yeah it's 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 the first thing that Whenever Midden Face McNulty finds himself at the wrong end of a blaster, it's always his lumps that take the hits, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and then John and Alan, you know, with their Scottish humour, when, when Midden Face um, says something and you get that sort of beat of silence from the rest of the crowd, as you know, his comrades just look at him like, we've got no idea what he just said. <laughs> Yeah, we'll just go along with it. This crazy yeah. Scotsman, he's, yeah, he's, it sounds like he's agreeing with us, whatever. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, excellent. You can, you can see Wagner coming across in that, I think. Mind you, mind you, maybe that's a bit of Grant humour also. Oh, it's hard to tell. They're both Scottish, aren't they? They yeah, are, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's distract ourselves from the sort of horrors of uh, war and oppression and terrible politics by just talking about Carlos for a moment mm. um, it's black and white Carlos um, it is peak strontium dog in a way um, you know there's nobody to match him and doing like weekly you know in, uh, installments of this story we sort of we're going to run out of superlatives for Carlos and his artwork aren't we yeah yeah it's it's absolute artistic genius all the way through um, it's the way how does he manage to cram all of that into like a page of you know maximum of six panels i think um it's kinetic it moves fluidly there's no confusion about what's happening you know exactly who's where doing what even in the most pitched battles it's it's an extraordinary piece of work and as i mentioned earlier i just love the depiction of the mutants he gave them such such character it's interesting though i think as I mentioned before, they're a device, aren't they, onto which you can kind of um, create a race and, you know, have their whole, use it as a fall for the prejudice and hatred and bigotry and so on. But, and I guess it's a way of making it more comics-y and, and accessible to kids and making the mutants quite fun-looking, covered in hair or having six arms or a torso with no head or the lumps in the head or whatever. But in reality, any genetic mutations from radiation would largely 
make embryos unviable or, or any babies not wouldn't survive long past childbirth or they'd affect internal organs increasing childhood leukemia and cancers and generally not surviving into adulthood like the characters have so it's not well i think before i said it's, it's a lot more grounded than a lot of the 2008 stuff or, or previous strontium dog stories there's some stuff in there which which they've just had to kind of stretch reality really i mean these they blame strontium 19 all those mutations and so on but strontium 90 has does cause mutations but usually they're quite deadly and most children wouldn't survive uh, if they're even born at all but as a device to illustrate intelligence t- towards others they work perfectly and carlos captures that really really well every aspect of it whether it's the action the pitched battles the mutants themselves and even the the stuff that some children might consider boring to read you know the political stuff in the um in those pages that i in the two chapters that i mentioned earlier i just wonder if I've, i wonder if i've got a page mark in them when they're debating what to do with the mutants in in parliament and so on even though there's not really much action going on in those uh episodes they Carlos still makes the action look really dramatic. People shouting at each other and waving fists and gesticulating. Nelson Bunker Creelman going into fits of rage and the Prime Minister going, oh my God, we've let him go too far. And yeah, and the script is great, but it's really carried all the time by Carlos's art, for sure. And obviously, you know, John and Alan, knowing Carlos so well, knowing you can just leave him to do this, he'll direct it, he'll, he'll make the pages explode with action. Um, he will fill the, you know, you know, even minor characters have some interest in sort of uh, costume or mutation to make them, you know, look great. Um, and of course, I, I was just thinking, yeah, they sort of slightly play fast and loose with genetics of mutation. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, we've made this comparison with American, the X Men, and how they too were sort of uh, symbols of oppression and, you know, uh, a minority group. But of course. In American comics, uh, your mutation makes you look incredibly gorgeous, but you've got a superpower. <laughs> in British comics, Carlos, you're, you're covered in lumps or hair, or you've got a nose growing out of your forehead, or you've got an extra pair of arms or something. It's really, it's real sort of yeah. 2000 AD British comic stuff, isn't it? Yeah, you look like a crab. You've got a duck's bill. You've got a face like a moon. Yeah, you tu- you tu- you've turned into an egg. You've grown into an egg. Yeah. <laughs> you look like a bull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. In fact, Johnny really is, uh, as mutants go, has come through. Uh, as Carlos's mutants go, has come through quite unscathed, doesn't he? Just with the crazy eyes, you know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we should say you've mentioned already. It's a civil war taking place in the UK. It's incredibly bru- brutal. The conflict. Um, you know, there's humour in the depiction of the mutants in some of the stuff with Middenface and his unintelligible dialect. But there's also, you know, terrible moments of horror, characters getting killed off. I've just found the page where they've, they've, but literally they've hung one of the Creela soldiers with a sort of sign hanging from his boots. And that says, I was a Creela. I mean, it's sort of... It's dark and gritty as well, isn't it? It's the unpleasantness of war. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's some horrendous stuff going going on there. I mean, the, there's the martyrs as well. Who, when they attack the tankettos, they they're quite happy to you know sacrifice themselves for the greater good, which is crazy. Well, I think when was that? When they were attacking the grub truck, was it? Um, oh yeah, I found the page with the sticky boom, and that's quite horrendous. And then Krabby on a suicide run, akin to. Um, 
What's his face? Is it Suster in um, the Apocalypse War taking Dan Dantana Junction? Oh, Is yes, Judge Souster. Yes. Yeah. Dantana in- Intersection or whatever, yeah. Yeah, for, for Justice for Mega City 1, etc. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're quite right. And then, of course, there's there's just the, the way that the mutants are treated as well. I mean, there's pages here where you see them being forcibly marched across the irradiated wastelands to, to their... Um, to the ghettos, you know, and there's this horrible scene where this, where these parents sit there under these, like, under a tarpaulin and these rocks and these, and the mother's looking at this mutant baby going, why do the gnomes do this to us? Don't they realize that we're human too? So you have these moments of, of real, yeah, real horror, not just in the combat, but just in the day-to-day existence of these, these poor mutants, you know. Okay, so I'm going to ask you about uh, a bit more about Middenface, your favourite character. I'm going to talk about some favourite moments, and then we'll get to your Grail page. Mm-hmm. Um, Middenface, <laughs> McNulty, uh, what a great character! You said he's your favourite, yeah? Yeah, he's been a favourite of of mine um, for a long, long time. I mentioned the big busters go. He made an impression on me straight away because if I remember correctly, he some of the the captured bounties he kept in the back of his truck and he got them. He forced them to sing uh, Scottish songs from while he got drunk, you know, in between going off to capture other bounties. And I was just like, oh, that's just brilliant, you know, that's so much fun. And in this, he's great as well. We've you know we've already mentioned the the humorous elements in here, all thanks to McNulty, and he just. Yeah, um, I almost got the chance to play him in the Search Destroy fan movie. Um, it came down to me or one other dude to play him. Uh, a friend of mine from a costuming group called um, Adam Campbell Leishman, and ultimately we we, we both had to submit um, a video of us, you know, doing our best midden face McNulty impression. <laughs> and uh, I think um, Steve and whoever else was involved in the decision process just couldn't decide between me and Adam. So they actually put the videos in front of John uh, to help make a decision between us. And he says, no, I'm not deciding. You've got to decide. But it's whoever comes across as the most disreputable looking. So they went with Adam. Uh. <laughs> so- <laughs> it's it's actually the second time um, I've missed out on being in one of Mr. Sterlachini's films as I was I was going to be in the Judge Minty one in the lineup of judges as Minty left on his long walk but unfortunately it clashed with my, uh, the, the day of filming clashed with my mother-in-law's wedding at the time so I couldn't make it and I was absolutely gutted so I'll just have to be happy with my IMDB listing as me playing Judge Pal in uh, in a Whovians fan film instead. Um, oh, right. But, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. you could have been Midden Face I I could have been in Midden Search Face, Destroy. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've, uh, Stephen and uh, and the guys there very kindly sent me um, uh, a Planet Replicas um, SD badge as a consolation prize, uh, which, which was very nice of them. And I still got up on my shelves to this day. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. Now we've mentioned some of the sort of standout moments in Portrait of a Mutant. Any others that you wanted to particularly sort of uh, draw our attention to? If we're talking, I guess I don't know if we're talking Grail Page yet or not. I mean, there's there's a couple. I mean, I really liked Johnny's first taste of of having to be kind of like quite merciless, um, where he, for his own protection, where the uh, the Creeler agents turn up in camp and yep. they say oh, we found these guys on the outskirts and they say they're looking for Nelson Brunko Creelman's son and Johnny's like, I'll use my eyes, I'll get out of them. And then he uses his eyes in such a way that it completely scrambles their brain. And, you know, it's as it's good as killing them, I guess. Uh, they're still alive, but they're, they're not themselves anymore, for sure. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting first look at 
Johnny's survival instinct forcing him to do something I guess wrong but he had to otherwise you know he would have either been killed by the by the mutant army or ousted or chucked to the wasteland or whatever and if his father had gotten in his hands and then that would have been the end of him as well so he had to make a decision there which was you know quite a brutal choice for someone so young to have to make about their own survival so I thought that was a bit of a standout moment and quite an interesting one where you can debate the the morals of that backwards and forwards can't you you know yeah um, other than that i think when the generals were escaping from you know they'd been sentenced to death uh, johnny uh, johnny's sister turns up hands him the gun he gets out he frees the other, the other generals and they, they have this big massive kind of like chase scene and you see some of the, the generals getting taken out such as uh clacton fuzz going out in a blaze of glory, shouting muties forever. And then uh, Studs, of course, where Middenface gives him that uh, farewell that he just can't understand. And interestingly then, later on, Studs kind of like crawls out of the sewer to hide the escape route that the mutants take. And when he's discovered by the Creelers, he's just shot without, without a, a chance for any last words and stuff, which is a very, very brutal end to, you know, one of the uh, generals of the mutant army, you know, to just like not have any last words and, but at, at the end of the day, he put himself in that position to protect the others, you know. So there's lots of... <laughs> all my moments are quite grim, really, aren't they? Yeah. All my kind of key ones, they're all kind of like quite horrible. I guess, I mean, is it, is it the appropriate moment to talk about the, the, the final few? Yes, let's get to the final. Yes, final let's get frames. to the... Yeah, um, because obviously Johnny is going to come face-to-face with his father in this story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and his father's holed up in this um, castle on this, pla- on this planet in the middle of nowhere, this fortress. Uh, and it only takes a couple of shots in the number four cartridge to persuade the, uh, the henchmen that um, he- they're not being paid enough <laughs> to protect Nelson Bunker Creelman. Um, and I thought, I thought that the ending was just perfect. You know, Johnny could have just executed him on the spot. But again, you see you see a sense of, of the righteousness and, and, and justice that, that Johnny's kind of like ended up with, not in terms of necessarily sparing Creelman's life because he puts him in a time trap, doesn't he, where he, he revisits his own terror of, of feeling that he's about to be killed by Johnny over and over and over again in a time loop. And I think that could be seen potentially as him, potentially worse than him just being killed by Johnny. Um, but in Johnny's eyes, it's righteous in terms of um, all the horror that Creelman has visited upon the mutants throughout his life, and that there's justice in Creelman feeling a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of that horror forever, you know. Um, and I just, and the very, very last panel is just them driving away into the, the distance. And from the window, you can just hear Creelman's now eternal words, please don't let me die, in his little whimper. And I just thought, and it's wow. <laughs> it's just wow. What a brilliant, brilliant end to everything that's come before. I just don't, you know, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know how they could have bettered that. I mean, it's often said that, you know, endings to these epic stories are quite difficult to get right. But for Rage and for Portrait of a Mutant, they're just sort of perfect endings, aren't they? Oh, what happened at the end of Rage? I remember um, Bubba um, thinking he was, he was killed, but then he, 
is and then, um, you know he recovers he goes to the hospital and recovers and comes out of the hospital and Johnny's there to kill him again because oh, I hate you right. yeah. yeah why did you do this to me because I hate you yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right that's on the t-shirt now isn't it it is yes yeah. so Conrad and I talked about that you know whether you'd be wanting to wear that t-shirt into a, a grocery store because um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. again there's so much context that you'd need to explain to people wouldn't you absolutely absolutely yeah I mean there are quite a few 2008 t-shirts like that isn't there I mean yeah. um, the Judge Dredd one with with Dredd poking his gun out at you saying democracy is not working I mean what are you supposed to read from someone wearing that t-shirt you know, I know. are you like a Nazi do you want a police state what's going on here <laughs> yeah yeah um, but yeah in terms of this ending yeah it's just amazing and and I think I think it's it it trumps rage just because of everything that has that has come before you know all of the horrible oppression all of the things that the mutants have to go through the the fight of of the mutant army all compressed into this package um leading up to that that just that one final panel is very similar to rage but i think better is it you know and we've got Johnny and Wolf and the Gronk getting onto their skimmers, riding off uh, through the dust clouds. And uh, Johnny, who is a great, uh, great m- mutant with a moral compass, for a terrible businessman, says, "We won't be collecting any reward on this one, Wolf. Let's go." <laughs> Wolf, as ever, despairing. I'm sure of um, Johnny's, you know, accountancy and business skills. But there you go. <laughs> Well, I mean, it sounds like it wasn't a particularly big bounty anyway. I mean, 20,000, I mean, what, what would that be? Like uh, half a tank of, uh, of jet fuel to get you through space? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> possibly one number four cartridge. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One time trap, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's play the Grail page game. I know you've got a couple of pages that you want to talk about. Um, tell us, Dave. Yeah. So going back to McNulty again. Um, Hooray. Y- yep. <laughs> You, you you said that it was uh, Middenface's first appearance, and in fact, my Grail page is his very first appearance. Um, I think it's his first appearance anyway. I'm quietly confident it is. It's the page where um, the young Alpha is watching the generals uh, discuss whether they're going to go to war or not, and he's and he's basically saying um, they hate Creelman. If they knew I was his mutant son, but they mustn't ever. So, and he's got that really pensive look in his face, isn't he? So, first of all, it's a great picture of of the young Johnny there, and then we've got Evans the Fist from Wales, and we've got um, Clacton Fuzz the Southeast Division, and there's Midden Face McNulty, Scotland, going aye war, and you know the torso signing, yes, war with his hands, <laughs> with his personal translator there, the guy with the nose in his head, as he said before, um, and yeah, underneath we've got war, 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 we go to war, and then you've got you know a nice close up of General Arms there, that. I mean, in in this book, there are just so many pages where we could go, wow, I want that one and that one and that one and that one. But I think that's the one page where we've got all of the main mutant generals in one place and a really good picture of the young Johnny as well and my favorite mutant of all time, Mid and Face McNally. So, you know, I could have gone for something with, uh, you know, a tanketto being blown up or them escaping from uh, the prison um, or some big action scene like that. But no, I've definitely opted for this one just because I love all the characters on this page. Yeah. 
And uh, let's say Portrait of a Mutant, part eight, page two is that page. Um, as you say, we'd probably have Annie Carlos page from this whole story. But yes, that is a pick of the pages and the first appearance of Midden Face McNulty. And you can actually understand what he's saying as well. <laughs> yeah. Two words. Yeah, I mean, you can't yes. think you're wrong with those. <laughs> I war. Uh, great. So we'll give you that one. Nobody else has picked that. So that becomes yours virtually uh, in the virtual art gallery on the world of social media. Hurrah. There's also a cover, I think, and we probably know what cover it is going to be. Everybody will probably guess. Yes. Um, and and I think it's actually slightly linked to your grill page, isn't it? Um, if I was to... to Yes. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> so it's the cover of Prog 220. Uh, and um, do you know what? I brought up an image of it earlier and I closed it down again without thinking. Yeah, there it is. And it's basically Johnny um, front and right at the front holding two guns, waving one uh, rifle in the air, shouting, no surrender. And in the background is the mutants taking out the norms and uh, tanketto being blown up. And it says, a portrait of a mutant news that's chill-powered climax inside um and as as this is a great front cover a great carlos front cover again um i thought i would um do a nice little depth map on it i've been doing some stereoscopic depth mapping of late just just for fun so uh i've pinged it over to you um i don't know if you want to stick that up in the in the notes for the show or anything like that i shall post uh, it on the socials when this episode comes out yes we can see uh what you've done with the stereoscopic version of the cover of prog 220 no surrender um it covers from this era of 2080 the golden age does so many great covers that just like explode um but this is one of again this is just one of the all-time greats isn't it it's instantly recognisable, isn't it, to any long-time 2000 AD reader, for sure. Um, I'm quietly confident this this might have featured on the best of 2000 AD as well. I, I'm guessing here. But it's the kind of cover that, if it didn't, it should have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's classic. Um, I did have uh, some interesting kind of decisions to make when I was depth mapping it. Because if you, uh, for people who are familiar with the cover, there's... The depth in it is is actually is actually really weird because behind Johnny it's an amalgamation of um, uh, a tank really close, some fighters a bit further away, and then a building really close but really small, and some tiny bodies outside. Meaning there's a depiction of something that happened further away in the distance, but is brought closer to you just for dramatic effect and to fill the cover and so on. So it was really weird to depth map that one because it looked like I was depth ma- ma- mapping something right behind Johnny, but the little people were ants. <laughs> right. You'll see what I mean when you when you see the depth map. But yeah. Okay. Um, but in term as a flat two D piece of work by Carlos, brilliant. You know, absolutely sums up exactly what's happening in inside the comic, doesn't it? <laughs> and uh, well done, whoever owns the original artwork for that cover, because that is just astonishing, uh, almost priceless, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, got, I mean, I. Knew- it's got to be up there with some of the Bollins or Dylans, isn't it? So absolutely, yeah. yeah. I knew you were probably going to pick that cover, so I've chosen the internal page that matches it, which is Portrait of Mutant Part Eighteen. Again, it's a page two, and it has that internal page of Johnny with the the gun above his head, no surrender. In the background, you see all the stuff that's gone on, the labour camps, the Creelers, the war. Um, You've also got some, you know, other stuff going on, the intrigue that's going to lead to uh, 
Is that where his his sisters come to see him as well? Or? Yeah, it's where yeah. Creelman gets disgraced, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, that's um, right. His, his dark secret is revealed to the the Parliament. Yeah, that's um, right. That's yes. a great page. Yeah. yeah. So I'll take that page and I will post all these images on all the various socials when this comes out, including a link to Dave's stereoscopic rendering of Prog 220's cover. Um, epic stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me on to talk about this one, Eamon. It's just one of my favourite 2008 stories of all time. It's amazing. Well, and I'll just say it is available digitally, nine ninety nine from the 2008 store, or currently it's cheaper on the Kindle or Comixology format, it seems, and that pocket digest size is just six ninety nine in hard copy. Um, you've mentioned some of the greatest 2008 stories of all time, and this is probably your favourite. Is it right up there in those, you know... What you said, the Rage, the Apocalypse War, Halo Jones, it's right up there with all of them, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. Um, I think what makes all of those stories great is they um, they brought the the mind of, of the child some, some concepts which they might not have received elsewhere uh, in any other form of media or even in school, perhaps. Um, so the Apocalypse War... Um, when that originally came out, that was before Threads, if I remember correctly. I think Apocalypse War was 80 and Threads was 83. So the, the concept of nuclear war and the horrors that that bring, brings in the, the Apocalypse War was, was covered remarkably well. Um, and then in Halo Jones, you've got the the, the dystopia of uh, the teenagers who've got nowhere to go, nothing to live for, stuck where they are, just want to get out. That was a fantastic story, uh, a fantastic science fiction story, essentially about lower lower to underclass people wasn't it um mm. which 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 was great and people could certainly you know see themselves respond to that um and what else was the other one? Oh, and rage was just well that was just a fantastic uh yeah everything leading up to that and then you know the after effects of of that the, the effect of wolf's death on johnny's life from through rage and onwards really was just an incredible story wasn't it i i i, I kind of struggle to think of any other stories that might be up there amongst those key 2080 stories that might be at that same level. Can you think of any others? Well, I think, you know, you, you sort of mentioned like the top five, haven't you? The Rage, Portrait of Mutant, Apocalypse War, Halo Jones. I think you put Horned God in there as well. Um, it's just astonishing, isn't it? And this, this golden era, as I keep saying, of Alan and John writing, Carlos art, the covers, it's just perfection. Yeah, yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, and it's interesting that um, in in those kind of like top five, four or five stories that I mentioned, two of them are Strangium Dogs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, only one of them is a Judge Dread one. Uh, yeah, the only other Judge Dread that would come close, I think, is well for me. Um, I, I mean that. Dread obviously is replete with epics, you know, the Dark Judges and the Cursed Earth and the Judge Child and all the rest. But for me, it's the Democracy series, um, which again tackles uh, some really interesting facets of, of, of politics and right wing fascism, police state uh, tactics and politics and so on, um, and gives us an insight into uh, what it must be like living under um, a fascist regime, you know, the boot heels of a police state. So. Uh, that that would be up there as well for me, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, 
obviously Pete Wells talks about the democracy series quite a lot on this podcast uh, but it is epic stuff and it really sort of you know gets to the root of the warnings that are contained in dread rather than the uh, the blueprints as it were yeah um, yeah Okay, great stuff, Dave. Thank you so much for coming back on. We've been waiting for a while, but, you know, busy lives. Um, you used to, if we do guest projects, you used to make some wonderful 2080 models, but I think you've raffled them all off for, uh, is it the Magic Breakfast charity now? Yeah, so, um, yeah, they're all gone. I've only got one model left, and it's not a 2080 one. Oh, no, I tell a lie, actually. I do have one tiny little model left. It's... Um Captain Kidd from RoboHunter. Oh, um, right. I just, I just made him... Oh, I did, uh, for the 2000D Advent Calendar Forum, I did um, a nativity scene using all the models I'd built so far. But I realized I didn't have a baby Jesus, so I made Captain Kidd <laughs> just a very quick Captain Kidd. He's not particularly good. But he's the only one I've got left. Um, and I completely forgot I had him. He turned up in a box somewhere. Um, he's on my shelves now. Um, I'll, I'll probably hang on to him because he's not worth raffling. He's not that good. But the other ones, Sensitive Clegg and um, Dave, Mayor Dave, the orangutan, and oh, what else did I do? Werewolf Dread. Oh, yes, I remember the Werewolf Dread, yeah. And the Gronk, of course, is yeah. my first one, my first attempt. Yeah, they've all gone. Uh, raffled them all off. Um, and with the help also of a donation of uh, a soft helmet from a soft helmet from a benefactor who to this day I think wishes to remain anonymous, um, we managed to raise thousands of pounds. I think overall, over several raffles, we've raised, uh, raised about £2,500, if I remember correctly. And it wasn't all for Magic Breakfast. The first ones were for, were for Save, Save the Children, Save the Children UK. And then the second ones uh, where I had contributions from a whole bunch of other people, uh, including um, uh, SK Moore, who donated uh, uh, a Dread sketch from part of a 2000 AD Dread story that it was doing. Um, and we raised, uh, oh God, it must have been about a grand for those as well. That was the Magic Breakfast one. And that's where the last of my models went. Um, Mayor Dave, for example, he went then. Mayor Dave was Mayor Dave and Sensitive Clegs were the two that I sworn, I swore to myself I'd keep because <laughs> I was so pleased with them. Uh, but in the end, I was just like, oh, they're just gathering dust on my shelf. I could do some good with these, you know. So I, so they went. Um, and yeah, um, Sarah Lee, I think, it, it was the recipient of Sensitive Clegg, and he's adorning her desk at work as, as we speak, I believe. So that's nice. Um, that was good. I haven't made any models since. I just have these moments of inspiration and i go for it and i haven't really had any what i've been getting into of late is um stereographic 3d i've always been into 3d in all shapes and forms you know whether it was the old tommy tronic sky raiders game back in the day or or the comics with the with the blue and green glasses i'm sure there's a roy of the rovers there was part that had a couple of episodes in 3d with the green and red glasses and jaws 3d man i mean the film is rubbish but that blew my mind as a child watching that in 3d that was just great um so anyway i got back into stereo stereoscopy and i got myself a 3d camera and i've been taking pictures and um just trying my hand at the, the the kind of art of it it's very different from taking normal photos because you're trying to compose a picture which has got depth and make the depth look interesting you know whether you're looking down a long corridor with things happening in the corridor or whether you've got you know a tree close to you on one side and a forest further away with people you know all kind of all kinds of considerations but something i'm immensely proud of is that brian may from queen the guitarist from queen is also hugely into stereo stereoscopic 3d 3d and he's released several books on the subject with a few of his fellow enthusiasts you know the london the london stereoscopic society has been revived by brian may and he's releasing a book later this year which is a collection of photos that people have taken 
through the lockdown years um, uh, to try and um, kind of show you know hope and optimism and joy even through these hard times kind of thing. And he's at and one of my pictures has been shortlisted to go into this book, and I'm like, what? I mean. I don't know if the photo will make it in ultimately. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't be the first time I get onto a shortlist and, don't, and it doesn't get in, you know. I'm not mid and face again. I know. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, but just the fact that my photo was actually being considered by Brian May, I'm just like, oh my God, you know, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, so that's what I've been up to of late, you know. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see, you see me post some of these pictures up every now and again some of these photos i've taken or even some photos from other people uh, that are interesting um for example st- stereoscopic photos have been used since about 1850 um pretty much since the dawn of photography really to um as a form of entertainment as a form of uh, hi- you know capturing history um whole bunch of things i won't go on about it but you get the idea um, yeah, yeah, it's, so that, it's great stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I've as you up. say, I'll put a link to your Twitter in the uh, show notes for this episode. So if people go to Twitter, they'll see your stereoscopic images that you post um, with the instructions on how to view them and so on. Yes, I've done a couple of 2000 AD ones. So if you're a member of the 1977 to 2000 AD group, you'll have already seen the depth mapping I did for Henry Flint's um, 2012 Dread with the uh, silhouetted Dread and the the, the kind of shattered uh, window with a bullet hole in it. That was quite a fun one to do. Oh, yes, the cover for uh, Urban Warfare, I think. That's the it? one. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. And what's the other one I did? Um, oh, I think I did um, a Greg Staples' uh, Dark Judges. So it had all four of the Dark Judges in it. I did one of those as a, as a depth map. That was quite a fun one to do. And now I've done, of course, this Johnny Alpha one as well. So, so yeah, all good fun. <laughs> And that one will be up on the Twitter and the Facebook uh, uh, the week after this episode comes out. So look out for them there. Brilliant. So fantastic, Dave. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, we, you are due to return at some point because we've got to get to the City of the Damned. Oh, yes. Fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait to do that one. That's another favourite of mine. Yeah, definitely. There's oh, uh, so much to talk about there. Yeah, absolutely. There's quite a lot to, yeah, there is quite a lot to talk about there, including the Steve Dillon story, which we will get to as well. Mm. Um, Great stuff. Thank you so much for giving up your time this evening. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. Um, I'm looking forward to catching you up, catching up with you uh, in the real world at some point. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to make Lawless this year, unfortunately, because... uh, well, well, I've become yeah. a bit of a hermit over the last couple of years, and we uh, all, yes. and this this epidemic, this you know, pandemic hasn't gone away. So I'm in two minds at the moment, but we shall we shall see. Never say never. I won't be coming as Judge Powell, though. I'm afraid because I've just put on far too much weight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like those. Um, I don't know if you remember the Daily Dread with the uh, with the two jimps. You know, yes. where Dread catches them like robbing a bank or whatever, and he spots them because they're a bit overweight and slovenly, and the eagles are on the wrong shoulder. Well, I think if I even could get into my kit at the moment, I'd probably look a bit like that. So, yeah. So Judge Pal is uh, on hiatus until he loses about three stone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and as nice you say, hope, hopefully we will meet up at some point again in the real world um, when things are safer to do so. Yeah, absolutely. In the meantime, thanks very much for having me on, Eamon. It's been a blast. Much appreciated. 
Great stuff. Thank you, Dave. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find links to everything, including all of Dave's work, at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the 2000 forums. Email me, mcbcpodcast at gmail.com, if you've got any comments, suggestions, or you'd like to come on the show yourself. And that's it. Until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, uh, it's goodbye from me and from Cardiff. Goodbye from me too. Thanks all.